There was a new idea. To bring together two remarkable brothers. To see if they could become a podcast. To see if they could watch all four Fantastic Four movies. Even the one that wasn't released. To see if any of them are good. And to wonder if Marvel's new one will be better. Hero Rewatch! Hero Rewatch! Are you recording the video on the Zoom? Nope. We're back! (laughs) (laughs) This is just like a real-life version of how after Infinity War, everyone got snapped and turned to dust and Tom Holland died, uh, and everyone was like, that's it. The Avengers are dead, the movies are over. And then Endgame came out, and they they brought everyone back together, and they saved the universe, and this is just like that. We finished our Infinity Saga, and then we died, (laughs) and everyone thought we were gone forever, but uh, we're back. Yeah, it's it's pretty exciting. And we're doing the Fantastic Four movies now. There's four of them, and they're mm-hmm. going to make another one. So this was the right time to go in, because there's four fours, and soon there will be five of them, and that would be a bad idea for a podcast, to watch five Fantastic Four movies. Jesus Christ. Just terrible. So we got to do it the last time. We're going to talk about these Fantastic Four movies the last time anyone is legally allowed to, while there are only four of them. Yeah, so <laughs> you're welcome. Uh, and I, uh, yeah, just in case somehow that's still confusing, uh, that's the plan. Uh, we are going to watch, there have been four movies made starring the Fantastic Four, uh, and, uh, we're going to watch all four of them in order, and we are going to specifically look at how they adapt the core concepts of the Fantastic Four, what worked, what didn't, and we were going to spend maybe a little bit of time guessing what Marvel might do the fifth time they try this thing. That's such a good idea. They've tried it four times. (laughs) And it's worked great every time. (laughs) Um, And also, this episode is very exciting because it's the first episode to fully break the premise in the name of the podcast, which is that I have never seen this movie before. So this, for me, is a hero watch. Uh, yeah, hero first watch. Hero regular watch. Um, hero no premise. And you know what I'll say? I before we started doing this, I I said to Marley, I was like, should we even do an episode about this one? Should we start with this one? Because it wasn't released. This is not strictly speaking a real it's not a real movie in that the only way to find it is through bootlegged copies that made it out into the world somehow. Um, and boy, was I so wrong. (laughs) This is my favorite thing that I've had to watch for this podcast. It's so (laughs) good. Yeah. Um, Sorry, Black Panther. We have a new favorite Marvel movie. (laughs) But like, well, because, you know, but I've also would have seen Black Panther besides the only reason why I'm seeing this now is for the podcast. And it's just ridiculous to me. I hadn't seen this prior. It's. We'll we'll talk about it later, but it's amazing. Yeah, no, it's it, also like a real movie. I was shocked because it wasn't released. It is a movie. They have sets. There's special effects. It it's such a higher bar. Yeah, they finished it. <laughs> they had a forty piece orchestra 
it's original music. When I was watching the movie, I was like, this must just be like royalty-free music or something. But no, because as we found out, we both watched this documentary about it too. They didn't tell anyone making the movie that it wasn't a real movie. So they all tried, even with a yeah. minimal budget. Um, the uh yeah so uh, i i do want i'm gonna do like a a super super short uh explanation of the deal with this movie but uh very quickly uh, i do want to say that we are still able to stick to one of the premises of our podcast which is that me and austin are brothers who are 12 years apart in age that will so, always be true <laughs> that will always be true uh and so because of that even though we are both fans of these marvel movies and marvel comics we are coming at these things from different perspectives because we're very different ages and this is actually something i've been wondering ever since the sort of modern age of youtube and like on demand mm -hmm. streaming video is like so austin like for you this fantastic four movie has been like a thousand percent more accessible during your life than it yeah. was for me because this movie's just been on YouTube for years. Yeah. But be almost because of that, you never watched it. You knew it existed, but you were like, I don't want to watch that. Whereas for me, I just knew of this movie as like a legend. This movie was like Bigfoot. Like I knew it existed, but I had no way of watching it. And so the first time I got a chance, I was like, this is the greatest day of my life. <laughs> when did you first watch it? So it's funny that I don't have a clearer memory of it, uh, knowing what a big deal it was so i remember really clearly watching it so i know i watched it in the early 2000s maybe after the tim story 2004 movie came out maybe right mm -hmm. before in that general era uh and i definitely watched it with uh, a family friend uh by my pal from high school austin zare shibilia mm -hmm. um and I can't, at that point, he could have downloaded it. That would have been possible. But I actually think we might have rented the bootleg DVD from a local video store. Okay. But I'm not um, sure. I don't actually remember exactly how we got it. But I do remember, I'd always know, you know, the, this movie was supposed to come out in 1994. And I had known about it that whole time. So by the time I saw it, I had known it existed for like eight years and had never been able to get it. So I, as a, as a child... Um, over at the Roth's house, uh, Eric Roth and dad, Andy Roth, had a copy of this movie somehow. And I really? remember they had it on the TV playing. And this was the point that the 2004 movie had already come out. And me being like, that's not a real Fantastic Four movie and wasn't interested at all as a six-year-old in it. Yeah, um, I mean, I guess that makes sense. Because it's also, you know, for a six-year-old, a very boring film where very, they don't... <laughs> They don't move yeah. very much. Especially, too, I'd already seen... I mean, I guess I was, you know, eight maybe or nine. I'd already seen the the more recent movies. Um, yeah, yeah. So I was just confused at people saying it was a Fantastic Four movie. And then when I saw they were wearing uh, Halloween costume level outfits, <laughs> I was able to go... Uh, able to not really um, intellectually engage with it as a kid. So I think yeah. that feeling just carried over of being like i just thought it wasn't worth seeing like i didn't i thought it was just gonna be boring um yeah i mean but that's i just i always i always wonder about that now that old media is so much more accessible but you're never f like like because a lot like so much of me watching old cartoons and old tv shows was because it's like that's what was on tv and you couldn't mm -hmm. control what was on tv and like i probably wouldn't seek out as much get smart and gilligan's island if i was a kid now as i watched because it was just on tv <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah. So the the short version for anyone out there uh, who might not know every detail of this movie's existence. This was a movie, uh, this film produce a German film producer uh, and director, uh, Bernd Eichinger, had the rights, he had optioned Fantastic Four in the 80s, and he was having trouble getting funding, and his option was about to run out. So what he did is he went to Roger Corman, uh, famed uh, B-movie uh, director and, and producer, and was like, can you make a Fantastic Four movie for a million dollars in like a month, because I'm losing the rights after that. And they did. Uh, they made a Fantastic Four movie for about a million dollars in just a couple of months. And then there are conflicting stories about what happened next and what Burned Eichinger's plan was at the beginning. The official narrative basically presented, I, I now realize looking into this, the official narrative which was told to us by Stan Lee, not the most reliable person. Mm -hmm. The official narrative is it was never supposed to be a real movie. Bernd Eichinger just needed time to make a real deal with 20th Century Fox. This movie was just to keep the rights uh, keep the rights in his hand, and they were never going to release it. They just didn't tell the director and the writer and the actors that. Looking into it more and watching the documentary Doomed, the untold story of the Fantastic Four movie, which I recommend people watch. I recommend you watch this movie on YouTube, the real, the Fantastic Four movie on YouTube, and then Doomed on Tubi. Uh, both free. <laughs> uh, but it sounds like what actually happened, probably, is Bert Eichinger just didn't want to lose the rights, put this movie together as fast as he possibly could, and then once the movie was done, it seems like what really happened is Avi Arad, who was over at Marvel and basically getting ready to start the modern Marvel stuff. Like, he had... He had sold X-Men to Fox as a cartoon. He had just sold X-Men to Fox to be a movie. He just knew Marvel could make these movies bigger and better. It really sounds like he just bought this Fantastic Four movie to kill it. Yeah. Um, and paid basically paid everyone off to not release it because he thought it would be bad for the brand. I think that's what happened. I don't think they knew they weren't going to release it when they started. I think that that's definitely what happened. I think that that's the... Um, accepted story now um, because the other now. version if they were just going if the original plan was just to burn a million dollars and not release it they would have spent less money they could have made it for <laughs> half a million dollars you know yeah what I mean? like yeah not a exactly. law where you have to reach a threshold of making it believable that it would be a real movie like they could be like yeah it's gonna make it for a hundred thousand dollars. Like, I don't know. So the only the only thing that suggests to me that maybe they never planned on releasing it is in the documentary, the director and the editor say that they basically did post-production on the movie in secret. Yeah. <laughs> and just sort of took it upon themselves to finish the movie when no one really told them to. Mm -hmm. And that cause some because what some people say is like, well, if they were never gonna release it, why'd they finish it? And it's like, well, they didn't finish it on purpose. <laughs> Yeah. So there is a chance the plan was actually to never finish it and never release it, but it's just hard to tell. I certainly don't think Roger Corman knew they weren't going to release it. And um, we also we don't know at what point in the timeline they offered to pay for them to not release it. Like yes. that could have been before they had done post production. Because also it would make sense for them to offer to pay off and not release the movie as early as possible. 
Yes. Like, yes. The more the movie is complete, the less re- – because, I mean, you know, the movie could have easily made more than $2 million. The reason, too, that they agreed to the deal is then the same producers made the real Fantastic Four movies. They, yes. They kept part- the rights and got to make – so yeah, pa- I, I think part of the reason the story became this whole thing was a scam to keep the rights so they could sell it to someone better. Part of the reason that that story took hold is because it's what happened. Like Bert Eichinger did was a producer on the Fox one. Yeah. He did make millions and billions of dollars. Uh, his production company then were the people who made Twilight. Like he was just his business decisions worked. Yeah. Um, uh, he also uh, like I think he produced like all the Resident Evil movies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what they're saying at the end of the documentary. One of the people involved in it, and he was like, you know, trying to like saying who the villain in the story is. And he was like, in some ways, it's not Marvel, it's Constantine Films, because they are the ones who started making this kind of shady movie and then agreed to not release it. Like, Marvel yes. didn't want them to make the movie. Yeah, <laughs> Marvel Mar- regretted giving them the rights. Yes, Marvel um, sold the I mean the the reason the option was expiring was by the time, you know, Marvel had sold the rights like 10 years earlier than that. Like yeah. the the wins had basically the Batman movie, the 1989 Batman movie changed what the game for what a superhero movie could be and what people would expect from it. And then meanwhile, this is more the kind of movie you would have made before the Batman Superman the Batman uh, 1989 Batman movie. Yeah. Yeah, and they were just worried that it would destroy marvel's brand having this movie get released in theaters because the one the the one thing that i do think is sad is that it turns out it took 10 years to get the fox movie like on screen yeah and i do think if they had released this movie in 94 and then released the fox one in 2004 that would have been fine that wouldn't hurt anything uh Mm. but they didn't think it would take 10 years to get the next one on the screen so they thought they'd be really close together yeah yeah i mean you know, all the villains in this story are, like, billionaires now, so I don't think... Yes. You know, I wish they had released this. I also wish they had released freaking uh, a million versions of this movie. I wish uh, this budget-level uh, superhero movie was coming out all the time. I wish uh, there was a they Iron are. Man They're in called... one of these. Austin, they are. They're called Episodes of Disney Plus <laughs> shows. <laughs> If the Disney Plus effects looked like the effects in this movie, I would like them so much more. Because every time Mr. Fantastic's arms stretch, it's a practical effect and it's terrifying. It's like Tetsuo the Iron Man level, like body horror. You're like, ah, what's happening to his arm? As it stretches and he like grabs a man and you can see. And there's like a POV shot of the arm stretching out and grabbing yeah, someone. And they, it is, I think the, the cleverest thing they do with this stretching is they do this shot where they stick the camera on the arm and then that way nothing has to stretch you just move the camera and the arm around evil dead style add a stretching sound and it's the grossest thing (laughs) yeah it's nice because i had never considered that not only is it upsetting to look at him it would be terrifying for your body to do that if your body (laughs) could stretch that way you would be terrified that it was doing it yeah um, so that's really uh, powerful. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you know, one of the things that I really love about the Fantastic Four as a premise is, and they really were the first superheroes with the 
giant caveat that the Human Torch as a concept predates the Fantastic Four, <laughs> uh, which is a pretty big uh, uh, hole in this thing I'm about to say. But with that said, the Fantastic Four were like, you know, uh, a very prominent superhero team where part of the premise is their powers are kind of weird and bad. Mm -hmm. uh, and obviously, I think people forget because it's the thing's entire premise, like the point of the thing is that he's become a monster. I think people forget that all their powers are weird body horror things. I mean, even turning invisible is scare would be scary if it happened to you and you yeah. didn't know why. Like, it's just none of them have powers like Superman or Wonder Woman. All of them have powers where it would fuck you up for this to be your life now. <laughs> yeah, it's just all of them except the thing can turn them off. Yes. Which then uh, makes which it is a be pretty a big difference. <laughs> yeah. Because being able to just turn invisible at will is cool. Yeah. yeah. But like that that initial famous moment that every movie has to adapt. And so we'll talk yeah. about how this movie adapts it, where all four of them are standing there realizing that something's wrong yeah. with their bodies. They're all freaked out. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, the way they represent it for the human torch is he sees little flames in his hands and you hear the devil laughing. Um, he's, he looks at the flames and is, um, I guess thinking he's a demon now or that the devil's creating the flames. Uh, I will say, un, un, I feel bad having any opinion about the acting work in, in this movie. I, I, I will say the guy who plays the human torch is the only one I kind of think does a bad job. <laughs> Yeah, and they say in the doc he was the most successful at that. Yeah, point. they yeah, like ba they barely had him audition because he was a, like a successful teen actor. He'd been in like big movies and stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think he just didn't know how to transition to being an adult actor. I think he's still acting like he's in a teen, a kid's movie. Yeah, yeah, and I I think probably the fact that he he was a teen, right? He was younger. He was younger, certainly. and I I think there were more the other actors had more training, and it probably yes. hurt him that. They, they didn't have rehearsals you know the last the movie he'd been in was a john hughes movie like yeah yeah <laughs> with a real direct you know like they had he had support you know um but I don't yeah know, he yeah. kept being yes. in stuff yeah no all, all this the didn't actors... ruin anyone's career partially because it wasn't released so <laughs> yes it no, didn't everyone's... help anyone's career but it also yeah everyone's career just kept anyone. Yes, everyone's career just kept doing what it would have done if they had never made this movie. And it, uh, it is sad that it didn't get released because a lot of people put a lot of work into it, but for a very short period of time because they weren't <laughs> paid very much. It was a very fast shoot. Like, you know, it wasn't years and years and years of anyone's life. Um, yeah, but I think but. the thing you have to remember, and I, I say this speaking partly from experience, is that, like, yes, it didn't take them very long, but every single person involved in this was like, oh, this is it. This yeah. is my break. I'm going to be in the fa My whole, my life is going to be before this Fantastic Four movie and after this Fantastic Four movie. And then for that to just be, just disappear and for them to never get a good explanation as to why uh, is uh, shitty. Yeah. And also it's important to note they were all underpaid for this. Basically yes. everyone working on it wasn't even paid well to begin with so the thing they were going to get out of this was that the movie was going to get made a lot yeah. of people spent money on it like yes. the composers spent thousands and thousands of dollars of their own money to hire the orchestra because yes. this movie shouldn't have been able to afford a 40-piece orchestra yeah but it a couldn't. lot of <laughs> 
Yeah, the actors spent their own money on a publicity team, and they sent them. They spent their own money sending themselves around the country to go to conventions. Yeah, so that is <laughs> the guy. Who, the guy who played Ben Grimm said he spent twelve thousand dollars on the publicity stuff. Yeah, that's so fucked up. So yeah, they lost <laughs> money making this movie. Yeah, so that is really not cool. Um, um, and, and you know, I know, like for for me. Hearing them talk on the documentary about the experience of, like, realizing the movie wasn't coming out. I've had two, ex- three experiences pretty similar to this uh, in my career, all pretty recently. Uh, and, the, I mean, the most, the the closest analogy is I have an Aquaman uh, limited series that used to be on HBO Max and now isn't on HBO Max anymore because of inscrutable uh, corporate business calculus. Uh, the uh, Warner Discovery came in and removed a bunch of stuff that Warner Brothers had put on the HBO Max app. But actually, the the the, the experience that I related to it the most was when we were making Thundercats Roar. It was supposed to come out on Cartoon Network, and we were making the show, and we were at the point where it was going to be released on Cartoon Network soon. Our release date was supposed to be, like, June or whatever, and it was April. And there was just this feeling of, like, I remember saying to people around the office where I'm like, if it was really coming out in June, we'd have like a date by now. Like if that was real, there'd be we'd be doing press. Like I don't think this show's coming out. And I was right. It didn't. Uh, they wound up pulling it from Cartoon Network, sat on it for like a year. It was going to go out on HBO Max. Then they wound up not putting it on HBO Max. I had a similar experience where HBO Max announced all their new shows and we weren't one of them. And I'm like, if we were going to be on HBO Max, <laughs> we would have been in that video. Yeah. <laughs> so like. And then we, we they did eventually release it on Cartoon Network with very little fanfare. But, like, I've just had that feeling of, like, all right, we're just doing our job, going about everything's normal, our thing's coming out soon. And then this slow feeling of, like, I don't think it is coming out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, it sucks because, you know, you were and, – and honestly, I think part of the reason I feel a lot of kinship with these, these filmmakers is, like, yeah, they were, like, super, like, uh, low-budget uh, B-movie uh, people, but I'm in kids animation, so all my stuff is super low budget, and everybody working on all my shows are super underpaid compared to how talented they are and how hard they work. And it is, and it's similar. It's like you know, I did a, a Flintstones show that kind of didn't get released. I've done Thundercats, I've done Aquaman. It's the same sort of thing where it's like, oh, because of this brand, this is a big deal, but we're not actually being treated well. And then for it to not even come out, you're just like, why did I do that? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, a million dollars would be a, a lot of money in kids' animation, and this was in the '90s. Like, <laughs> yeah, million, that would be a lot. Well, of yeah, money. I mean, we, yeah, it would be. I mean, it would be not a lot of money for a feature. Like, we when we did the, I, I worked on the Teen Titans Go to the Movies, which was a was a, a theatrical animated movie made for a sort of TV budget, and they spent ten million or so on it. Yeah, well, but like, what about the direct to DVD movies? Yeah, those are probably more like five million, okay. four million maybe. I bet you that's around what with inflation. Yeah, with inflation. Yeah, the mo- um, the movies that I've written probably had similar budgets with inflation to this Fantastic Four movie. And you know what, Marley? I think your movies are better. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You know what uh, I'll say about your movie? There's no character who they decided to not redub his lines so you can't understand what he's saying <laughs> the entire movie because he's wearing a full mask. 
Yeah, probably the mo the one part of this movie, this Fantastic Four movie, and then we'll get into get into the the real meat of the episode is uh, the one part that is like as unfinished and not real as you probably thought the whole movie was gonna be yeah. is that yeah they never ADR Doctor Doom's voice, so all his lines are through the mask, and you just straight up cannot understand half of what he says. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing because they did ADR some of it, and yeah. the actor talks about it, and he came in, and they were like. He was like, I think we should ADR everything. And they were like, no, it's good. And he was like, okay. <laughs> and he was like, I'm still upset about that. It's like, yeah. I know. Makes sense. Um, yeah. Uh, but Marley, do you know that um, that actor? Uh, do you know that he's actually uh, Michael Culp is in the MCU? Uh, oh, well, he's one of the ones that's in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Yeah, he plays FDR in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> Yeah, I did see that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot, a couple of these guys are in some things n- more recently, obviously because they were in Fantastic Four. Yeah, and it makes it makes sense if you're if you're casting some kind of superhero thing or some kind of Marvel thing, and there's a part you think they could do. I mean, honestly, I would be very excited to ca- uh, uh, cast uh, what's his name, Alex Hyde White, uh, mm-hmm. who played Reed Richards. I think he's awesome. <laughs> Well, also, it's funny in the documentary, you can see this. Michael Koop has that, like, exact, like, um, Alan Rickman in Galaxy Quest vibe. Really where he's does. Like, so much. You can tell he's a great, like, theater actor. He's an amazing voice. Um, so I was really happy to see he uh, was uh, Don Draper's dad in Mad Men. Um, yeah, yeah. He, he did a bunch of episodes of Mad So Man. I was like, oh, it's cool. And I also, like, went on his IMDb. He's, like, studied with, like, all of these amazing – he studied with Stella Adler, Uta Hagen, all these super famous acting teachers. So I'm yeah. glad that – I mean, he has – it is the most, like, actory thing I've ever seen when he talks about how he auditioned for Doctor Doom. And then we got to stop just quoting the, the documentary, but I'm going to do it because I love it, uh, where he's like, so I, I came in and I – I realized I had to I had to embody this Doctor Doom. I had to I had to take command the space and so I became this man who commanded space and time. <laughs> and you're like, ah, oh, never change actors. <laughs> it sucks you can't hear his voice in the movie. I know. <laughs> it sucks. I like when I when I saw that and realized it was like the movie would have actually gotten a whole point better if you could have heard his voice as Doctor Doom. Yeah. <laughs> because I should... think he was actually doing a good job. Yeah, I think probably. I don't He beat out Mark Ruffalo for the role. It's so funny. It's so yeah, it's amazing. Uh yeah, no, he did a good job. I I have some notes for him on the physicality of how he did it. I don't think he needed to move so much. He really was like they can't see my face, so I must be constantly flailing my arms. And it's like I don't think you need just trust the mask to to convey some emotion <laughs> they do the same thing with the thing though the thing is doing the same kind of hand I acting i think that was just their idea <laughs> <laughs> maybe that was the director telling them to do that i mean i who know but like clearly did not know what was happening while they were in that suit so i don't know no, no. much of it uh, um, they also talk about how you know the movie was still low budget they didn't have a monitor they didn't couldn't see what they were doing while they were doing it they basically yeah. were shooting it like the student films i've made yeah yeah there's some parts in the movie that really feel like a student film to me where or uh or student scripts where they introduce a new character in a scene and it's a side character like a doctor or something or just like a random goon 
and that character takes over the whole scene. And the scene is, mm. like, then from that character's point of view. Or they're just, like, a side character, but they have a huge personality. And I've just, like, been in classes where people are like, yeah, that guy's funny. And it's like, no, he shouldn't be in the movie. There shouldn't be <laughs> – you can't have that many characters. Um, even yeah. Even the it's, actor's it's, doing a funny thing. Yeah, because this uh, – we, we'll, I think it's fine to jump ahead to this, the – this movie, because I talked about how every Fantastic Four movie has to have a scene where basically each member of the Fantastic Four gets kind of interrogated as to what their powers actually are. And yeah. I think it's a pretty similar scene in all three origin movies. And yeah, in this one, it's a scientist who turns out to be working for Doctor Doom and he's like taking samples of the Fantastic Four to steal their powers. But yeah, he ta there's like a five minute sequence of the movie starring this man you've never met before as he asks all the Fantastic Four how their powers works and does big reactions reactions to it <laughs> yeah it's totally shot from his point of view and stuff and yeah, it's just it's, like it's weird <laughs> that's not really what you're meant to do <laughs> you can have this man but it should be them talking to this man not him talking to them <laughs> yeah it's mostly the stars of the movie staring at this man as he does big double takes at their powers <laughs> yeah um yeah and you find uh, out where they are is dr doom's castle um they would yeah they do. Uh, all right, so uh, let's uh, let's jump into it. My idea for talking about these Fantastic Four movies okay. is that because three of them are origin movies, we'll yeah. see what happens when we do the one that isn't. But three of them are origin movies. They're adapting a fantastic. So what I said is the Fantastic Four comics have a very simple premise that nonetheless has presents a lot of obstacles to anyone trying to adapt it. You just cannot. Nobody can actually just do exactly what's in the comic as much as I, Marley Hopper Grazer, might want them to. You have to change stuff. And everyone's bumping up against these same problems. Everyone has these same questions. And I think it's going to be interesting to look at these movies as how do they handle them. So we're going to start. You ready for me to start with the first one? Oh, yeah. oh am I ready, Marley? All right. So number one, the qu first, first question we will ask of this movie. What gives the Fantastic Four their powers? Because the 1961 comic was published in the same year that Yuri Gagarin, Yuri Gagarin became the first human to travel into outer space. So the idea of four people going into space was pretty much science fiction at the time. But every movie was made decades later. So you have to come up with some kind of element besides just, oh, they went to space and radiation gave them superpowers to explain both what they were doing up there and why it was important. And then also how it gave them powers. And I will say I did just check. And in the 1961 comic, they specifically say it like Ben Grimm's like, if you want to go to the stars, you'll need me. And then Sue's like, if we don't hurry, the commies will beat us to it. I actually think they mistakenly thought the Fantastic Four were the first people in space uh, in this comic. They don't say they don't. There's other things you could say like, well, there's four of them. Maybe they're going farther into space, but they don't say that. They just say like, we got to beat the commies to the stars. Mm -hmm. uh, so even though the comic came out like six months after both the US and the Soviets had been to space, I kind of think the comic doesn't care about that. It is acting like they're the first ones. And actually, oh my God, I'm going to give myself a goddamn no prize. You know what? <laughs> the comic, the origins of flashback. Oh, yeah. In the first issue, they're already the Fantastic Four. And then the narrator's like, do you want to know how the Fantastic Four got their powers? And then, so you know what? I think the idea is they were the first people in space. Great. I fixed it. <gasps> oh, yeah. <laughs> Marley fixed his own problem. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot it's a flashback within the issue. Yeah, so, yeah. within so, the first issue. Uh, so, yeah. 
So, uh, yeah, so the original premise was they were the first people ever into space, and it turns out going into space gives you superpowers. So in this so new every, movie, yeah, go they're ahead. able what do to they do? modernize it by saying there's something called Colossus, and I don't understand what it is. I think it's a, sp- it's a, sp- it's a space thing that I think comes it's a co- I, think, I think it's a comet? I think it's a cloud, because they fly <laughs> into it. That's true. And they're trying to make contact with it. I yeah. think... I wonder if at some point it was called Galactus or something. I think so. I actually think that is probably true because there's a secondary villain in this movie called the jeweler who I always as a teen was like, I bet this was supposed to be Mole Man. Uh, and then in the documentary, they specifically say, yeah, it was supposed to be Mole Man. It was Mole Man in all the early drafts. And then it turns out they didn't actually have the rights to Mole Man. Yeah. And I bet that was the, th- I had to have been the case with the cloud. I, the cloud must've been Galactus. They didn't have the rights to Galactus and they changed it to Colossus. Has to be. Yeah. Um, and so this uh, is, this is sort of our first appearance of Galactus as a cloud that sucks. Yeah, <laughs> except this time you don't even get to see the cloud. <laughs> oh, they couldn't afford clouds. <laughs> um, so, yeah, in this one, it's Dr. Doom sabotages them, sort of, or the jeweler sabotages them, sort of. So they no, do- Yeah, to- Dr. Doom sabotages. No, because the gem gets stolen oh, you're right. by the jeweler so- for unrelated reasons. You're right. And the, the- Dr. Re- Doom doesn't tell them about it. You're right. Reed's experiment requires a big diamond. The jeweler, famed jewel thief who also lives in the sewer, uh, has steals the diamond. Dr. Doom was also going to steal the diamond, but when he sees that the jeweler does it, he goes, oh, cool, I don't have to now. Uh-huh. This one's fun because this movie was written in one day. <laughs> I maintain this this script is shockingly good for how fast they wrote it. It basically works. Also, a lot of the funny stuff is supposed to be funny. Like they're shooting for like a, a Richard Donner Superman kind of tone. Like they're not trying mm-hmm. to make a deadly serious movie. The stuff with the villains is mostly supposed to be funny. Yeah. Sure. Um <laughs> No, but like the jeweler and yeah. Doom's henchmen, all the jewelers yeah, henchmen. No, it, like, it is these all are com- meant to be funny. These yeah. are comedic characters what and I'm some saying, of the jokes work. What we just it's so complicated what we just explained as to what <laughs> anyway, Colossus gives them powers when they yes. get they and and it they crash and they survive and they shouldn't have. Um yes. uh, and uh and then other than that, the scene where they the scene where they, they go up and they get irradiated and they crash and then they're in the field and they each one by one realize they have powers is like pay, panel for panel the, the sequence from the comics. Yeah, because if you don't have much time, it's easier to adapt the comics faithfully than it is to change things. Yeah, like, that's true. You know, faithfully adapting something is the easiest thing to do. It just doesn't work that well, generally. You <laughs> yeah, have yeah. to make changes when you're updating things and making it into a movie. If you just do, like, it's easier to just have it be the exact scene from the comic. So it makes yes. sense. This follows it pretty well. Um, yeah, they're they're really trying their best to just do exactly what was in the comic. And also, the other thing is, there had been so many less superhero movies at this point. And also, like, in the context of Marvel... All the Marvel live-action stuff that had been made up to this point, whether you do or don't like it, wasn't very faithful. 
Like mm-hmm. the Hulk show wasn't very much like a Hulk comic. They have now ri- they have now written Hulk comics a lot like the show because people like the show. But at the time when the show came out, that's not what Hulk comics were like. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you know, Daredevil and Thor had been in made-for-TV Hulk movies, and they just don't look like Daredevil and Thor because just it's not like Thor's costume from the comics would be hard to do. It's just like you said, it would look doing it like. Putting Thor in an exactly comics accurate costume in 1985 or whatever would have just looked bad. So yeah. instead, they just made a new one. Like they didn't. They they what they couldn't do was figure out a way to make a, a new costume that looks good but suggests the comic costume. One thing that's funny about this movie, and I feel like why we talked about this documentary so much, is that nothing we've covered in the MCU prior. There's no tell-all anything's about it. Like yes. we, there's no info about how anyone felt anything that went wrong behind the scenes, anyone yes. who was unhappy about anything, anything that went well, surprisingly, or anything like that. So it's just new talking about this movie that we can say like, oh, this actor said that is why this mistake is there. Where, yeah, like, whereas, yeah, well, I mean, we're just like that. We're just starting to get that, I think, with the uh, visual effects people starting yeah. to talk about the experience. Like, we just learned, fr- I mean, look, we all knew this was the case, but we just learned for sure really recently that the big uh, vibranium train fight at the end of Black Panther, that the reason it's the worst, one of the worst scenes in any Marvel movie, but it's in the best Marvel movie, is because the FX team didn't have access to the director, didn't have access to the cinematographer, hadn't seen the movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, they and, just made up a video game cutscene based on nothing. Of course it's weird. Yeah, and didn't have enough time. Yes, and didn't have enough time. But I'm just saying, like, it has nothing to do... It's sort of like this Fantastic Four thing, right? It's like, the people who made that scene did their best... With, with in tools that did not work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm, you know, I just love seeing practical effects, too. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, all I would watch, I mean, I, I actually I have I've not, as of this taping, I have not watched uh, Marvel's Halloween special, Disney Plus Werewolf by Night, where I believe the effects are more practical. And I am excited because I will watch a bad rubber suit for forever and I really can't look at bad CG. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And boy, is things rubber suit in this great. He, <laughs> his face structure and stuff. My friend I was watching it with um, kept saying he look. It looks like a animatronic gorilla suit because his <laughs> the way his lips work, they just go up, and he's like snarling his teeth all the time, like yeah. a gorilla's face does. Um, uh, yeah, well, I mean, they're basically doing what the Henson Company did for the Ninja Turtles, but, you know, they're not the Henson Company, and they didn't have any time or money. Uh, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, it looks great. I love it. Sometimes you can <laughs> kind of see the actor's, like, real mouth down inside the thing's mouth. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, also, I never... raise his hands up or move? No, he can't. He can't turn his head. He's also smaller uh, than the actor who plays Ben Grimm. He shrinks the, when he becomes so, the thing. So that's one of the that's one of the ways that like people don't think about how low budget affects production. And that was really interesting. And you're right. Part of what's fun about talking about this is that we know all of this because of this documentary, Doomed: The Untold Story of a Fantastic Four movie, available now on Tubi. Uh, <laughs> People should watch it. Uh, yeah, we used but, to be plugging HBO Max all the time, but Marley doesn't work there anymore. So now we're a Tubi household. Yeah, this is a Tubi, a Tubi home. Tubi's what I can afford now that I don't have a job. 
<laughs> hey, you know what else you could afford, Marley? Library books. <laughs> You're right. I still work at the New York Public Library. <laughs> so Our I'll fortune plugging yeah, for free knowledge. Yeah, for Hero Rewatch Season 2, our fortunes have really flipped. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, oh yeah, but so that's the thing. Uh, they had to make the suit. It takes a long time to make a rubber suit, even a crappy rubber suit. So that meant they had to cast the stunt actor who was going to wear the rubber suit really early so they could make the rubber suit. And then it turns out the guy they cast as Ben Grimm is a full head taller than him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so funny because the Sue actress is like, if you look closely, you'll notice that he's smaller as the thing. And it's like, yeah, we noticed. <laughs> yeah. We were able to tell. We could see that. Because <laughs> um, they show them morphing and he morphs to be a little bit bigger. Because the suit obviously makes the other guy bigger. Because it's meant... Yeah, yeah. I, I would say because the, because the guy's wearing a big rubber suit, he's about the same size as the Ben Grimm actor. But you would think you'd want it to be bigger than the Ben Grimm actor. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it also seems like they should have cast a different guy if they already had that suit, you know? But <laughs> just not cast. cast a good guy. I just, yeah. And he has uh, a really... he Him and... I mean, they all do. But, like, I you know, because I've been... Kind of jokingly saying that my fan cast for uh, Ben Grimm in the new Fantastic Four movie is John Cena, just because John Cena's face looks exactly like how Jack Kirby used to draw Ben Grimm, because it's just a uh -huh. completely square, flat face. <laughs> uh, like, John Cena looks like, uh, uh, you know, a 1920s gangster that Jack yeah. Kirby saw once when he was a kid. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and this guy looks like that. This guy has kind of a John Cena face. Yeah. All right, you want to go to your next question, Marley? I would love to. And th this next question is going to get right to the heart of what I love about the Fantastic Four, but also why they're hard to adapt. The second question is, Austin, why are Sue and Johnny there? Because uh -huh. <laughs> in the comic, Reed invents the rocket and Ben is a test pilot. So that mostly checks out. Reed shouldn't be in the rocket, but that's fine. Whatever. He invented it. Inventors get to ride in their rocket. So, but Sue and Johnny Storm in the comics are just there. They just go in the rocket because they want to go in the rocket. And they're both... Johnny's a teenager. Is Sue also a teenager in the comic? I believe in the comics, Sue's age is a little tricky because I think they had a little bit of trouble with the fact that they wanted Reed and Ben to be World War II veterans. Uh -huh. And even in 1961, that made them a little older. And they knew Sue was younger, but I think they didn't want to admit how much younger that she would be. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say Johnny's supposed to be the same age as Spider-Man. So Johnny's probably supposed to be... Spider-Man was a little older in the old comics than people remember. So Johnny's probably supposed to be 16 or 17. Uh, mm. And I bet Sue... Let's be generous and say Sue's 20. <laughs> So one thing that's fun about this movie is, boy, were they not afraid to acknowledge how much younger she is than Reed, which is <laughs> in this movie, they show them visiting Sue and Johnny as children living at a foster home. So I was confused about that, too. Uh, I, I checked on Wikipedia and I think what's happening is Susan's mother owns a boarding house and that's where Reed lives as a college student. Oh, because that's so where they Reed know is a college. So Reed is a college student living in a boarding house, and the the like twelve year old daughter of the owner of the boarding house has a crush on him. And her younger brother is playing video games with Ben Thing. Grimm. Yes. 
Yeah, they're, so they're all friends. So yeah, and and that and that is child Sue having a crush on like eighteen year old Reed is actually from the later comics. I believe John Byrne like. I think John. I think John Byrne was like, "Oh shit! If you do the math, Sue's like fifteen years younger than Reed. That's kind of gross. How do I fix this? I know. I'll say that when she was ten, she loved him. And I'm like, that didn't fix it. That you didn't made fix it, worse. it at all. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. The way to fix it is they didn't know each other when she was a kid. Yeah. So I think that was John Byrne's super misguided attempt to fix the age problem and, and made so it so much why grosser. They say they're in the rocket in this movie. Is that? Yeah. They both, they've known them for so long. The two of them both know the most about this project of anyone else. Yes. They've been talking about this experiment with them for the last 10 years. And I think, I think Ben is is just like, hey, if you need two more people in a rocket to do what? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it's only two people it can be. It's actually, I do think the Ben Grimm actor is good. The one line reading from him that that hurts me is when they knock on the door to the boarding house 10 years later. Also, not a lot of indication that they've hung out that much in those 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> they knock on the boarding house door 10 years later, and Ben goes like, Hello, Mrs. Storm. Can Sue and Johnny come to space with us? <laughs> yeah. It's awful. <laughs> um, here's my idea on how to fix this in the future. Uh, make them both pilots or also scientists. Um, yeah, I mean, that's usually, I mean, we'll talk about it when we get to them. That's what every other adaptation does. Yeah. Uh, it's also what the comics have done. I just got done, uh, I just got done reading uh, a Dan Slott Fantastic Four comic where he retells their origin and specifically says Johnny Storm was the youngest pilot in NASA history and was a pilot. And that is why he was on the rocket. Like, even in the comics, they have to go back and pretend also, there was some reason. With what his power is it makes sense for him to have been a pilot yes he flies jet <laughs> yeah he flies around yeah in the comics he was just what he was into was cars he wasn't a because mm. ben was the pilot uh so it's like johnny loved race cars and ben was a test pilot it's yeah. a little it's kind of it's a little too bad i think to make them both pilots just because i don't know they should each have a different thing <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but also the other thing in the comics is they steal, Reed invented the rocket and Ben was always going to fly it, but they steal it, I think, to beat Yuri Gagarin. I think the yeah. idea is like in real life, the Soviets, because in real life, the Soviets went into space one month before the Americans. I think the idea is actually one month before that, Reed stole his own rocket so he could be the first one in space. Yeah. Um. So that's kind of fun. Uh, so the next question we got, Marley, you want to tee us up? Yeah, yeah. So the next question, this is a big one. What's Dr. Doom's deal? Yeah, uh, deal? Because in the comics, Victor Von Doom is the son of a Romani doctor and a sorceress who, after the deaths of both of his parents, combines the disciplines of science and magic to become a robot, a man in a robot suit who can cast spells. He then overthrows the monarchy of his fictional home country of Latveria, sets himself up as king. He employs an army of robots, many of which look identical to him. We call them Doombots. Also, he was Reed Richards and Ben Grimm's college acquaintance slash rival. He went to college in America in the middle of all of that. No movie has all of these elements. No movie ever has. No movie ever will. <laughs> How many of those things are in this movie? <laughs> um, yeah, so I want to say quickly before we get that. So this movie, they do have uh, them in college together. Um, yes. It starts off 10 years 
earlier than when most of the movie takes place. Uh, Reed and Victor and are uh, conducting an experiment to try and contact Colossus. Yeah, like um, channel its energy. There are and- professors talking about how like faster than light speed travel was thought to be impossible and then Colossus proves it is possible. So there's some talk of like, I think, because it would make sense, and this is what this is what Dan Slott did in his his retelling of the origin. It would make sense to say that what they're doing is testing the first faster than light speed rocket because okay. that will stay science fiction forever. Because spoiler alert, nerds, it is impossible. <laughs> oh, my friend who I was watching this with, you know, knows who the Fantastic Four are, but doesn't know it that well. And at the beginning, he was like, "Oh, so Reed." isn't super smart yet, right? And I was like, no, he is. And he was like, oh, but he hasn't gotten his powers yet. And I was like, no, wait, he never gets super smart. The 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 rockets don't make him super smart. I know that's confusing because he is the smartest man in the world. Um, <laughs> and in that world, in the comics, there are a lot of people who are super smart. <laughs> yes. He is smarter than them. Um, which my friend responded, doesn't that mean they're not super smart? These other people? <laughs> I mean, I think it's all about how did you get your intelligence, right? So, like, uh-huh. in the comics, there's an X-Man named Forge, and his yeah. mutant power is to intrinsically understand machines and how they work. And that yeah. means he's an amazing inventor. He's not a better inventor than Reed Richards. He's not even a better inventor than Tony Stark. What he did is not go to college. That's the yeah. superpower. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, It's just funny that that – it's so – most of Mr. Fantastic's thing is how smart he is. He yes. stretches sometimes. Yes. And the, his smartness is completely unrelated to the stretching. And it's so much more important. Yeah, like, he's 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 like Iron Man. He's like, you know, Iron Man or Hank Pym. Like, he is a character where you could completely remove the stretching. And not only would it not hurt the character, some might say it might improve the character. <laughs> It's funny, though, well, but, you know, Iron Man and Hank Pym both invented their powers. Yes. Whereas he got his through an accident. And doesn't really need them or want them, really. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, in the comics, he's stretching all the time because it's a cartoon, so. Yeah, and it is useful to be able to grab a, a lab, a piece of lab equipment from all the way across the room. Also, in the comics, what it means is he's, like, indestructible, is how yes. it gets used a lot, is that he, things... He, you really can't kill him because he's made out of rubber. Yeah, he's made of indestructible rubber. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's a, it's, I think if you, when you are a cartoon character, stretching can be a cool power because of how versatile it is. And it's, it's just a great as, power in the movie. As soon as you translate it into live action, you start to have problems. Like, you know, Elastigirl in, uh, in Incredibles is cool. <laughs> yeah, because Incredible, you know. We could watch Incredibles and say that that was another Fantastic Four movie. It's the best one they've made by far. I know. It is kind of funny how much Incredibles is a Fantastic Four movie. Uh, And yeah, we could. uh, And we won't, because then there'd be five of them. And as we discussed, that would be madness. There would be six, Marley. I haven't seen that one, so it doesn't exist. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Marley doesn't have movie um, permanence. If yeah. He doesn't, if he hasn't seen a movie, it doesn't exist. Doesn't exist. Or uh, if you, uh, anyway. Um, <laughs> so in this movie, Doctor Doom gets injured in the experiment. Reed is saying, no, it's not going to work. And Doctor Doom says, yes, it will. He fakes his own death. He has henchmen pretend that he died. Yeah. 
and then they don't see each other for 10 years. They presume he's dead. Reed does all of his research in the memory of Victor Von Doom, a person he still thinks he was friends with. Yeah. And I think maybe in the movie his name was Victor Vaughn. He doesn't have the Doom. I think they would have noticed that Dr. Doom was their friend Victor if they had known Victor's name was Doom. <laughs> oh. Because I was going to say later that's in the movie, what, one of the whole conversation where he's like, Victor, and he says, no, only Dr. Doom now. And I was like, in the comics, that's just his name because he's a yeah, doctor. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know what, let me, let's just double check this. I kind of think that maybe... In the credits, I think it says Victor Von Doom. Okay. It says that on Wikipedia, but it's also not a real movie, so. <laughs> I, do, I mean, they didn't do a good job making the movie. Yeah, but anyways, I have a feeling his name is not Doom because they don't realize it's him when they meet him. Uh, but uh, yeah, and he is king. He They call him, the, his henchmen call him your highness. Um, he's got a castle. I don't think they say Latveria, but it, it is. Uh, he has goons that dress like him. They're not robots. They are all yeah. wearing green cloaks like him. It is cool. Um, he doesn't have magic. There's one cool matte painting he of a throne room he's sitting in. That looks mm -hmm. great. It does um, look great. They specifically call it out in the documentary that they were like, the the original person who was going to do the visual effects for them, like kind of conned them yeah. uh, and couldn't do the effects. And so what they did instead, much like a Marvel uh, movie or a Marvel Disney Plus show, uh, they got a very, very talented effects company that then just had zero time because they were the replacement company. Yeah. Uh, and so that's why there's just a handful of effects shots in this movie, but they're actually pretty great. And yeah. one of them is they, they went and shot a new shot of the actor sitting on a chair so they could paint that cool animated matte painting around him. Yeah, the original guy they did got... Uh took the memo correctly and scammed money from them. The thing yeah. that all of them should have been doing the whole time. Yeah, The exactly. mistake people made was making a real movie. They all yeah. should have just taken the money and not done anything. Yeah, I bet the guy, I bet that effects guy's not upset about how everything turned out. Yeah, he's like, I could tell this was not going to be a real movie. One thing, yeah. I don't know when else I could bring it up, in the doc, it's so funny. Everyone else is so, for the most part, people are kind of mad or at least like, little somber roger corman is so happy to be interviewed he's i know just like hello i'm roger corman um he's just like because you know he made so many of these movies too yeah he doesn't seem really that upset about it or like well because also the way he's one of the people that got paid by bought out like they gave, yeah. gave him a million dollars to not release this movie it was the yeah. best investment he ever made yeah <laughs> it's great uh i just He's I did actually. I, I do have another generational question. Are when you were in film school, were people as obsessed with Roger Corman and his whole studio and his whole deal as my group was? Because we just loved him. No, not not at all. Really? Yeah, that's a little sad. Well, I mean, not not as yeah. I mean, it just been also. There's in between then and now. There's been so many more weird B filmmakers who've come up. Like, yeah. People were really obsessed with, like, The Room and stuff when I was a kid. And, like, yeah, the Neil yeah. Breen films. That um, makes sort of like, yeah, that makes sense. Ah, that sucks. Because the thing that's so cool, I don't know, the thing that's so cool about Corman is that, like, obviously he was, like, a cool B-movie director, but he also, it was the studio. It's like, Corman, the, the studio that he made, they just made so many cool, weird things and also gave so many really talented people their start. Like, no giant A-list director started out directing Asylum knockoff movies. But, yeah. like, James Cameron was a Corman guy. Joe Dante was a Corman guy. Rob Howard was a Corman guy. Like, I don't yeah. know. I just think that whole 
I just think people should know about it. <laughs> I mean, even this movie is, you know, really neat. Um, yeah. It's a real movie. It's better than the... I mean, that's the thing. I think I thought it was going to be like an asylum film. And those yeah, films right. are just irredeemably boring. So um, part of... I, I truly, you know, you, I try not to be a snob, but I, I really do think it's the difference between when things were shot on film and when things were shot on video. Because if you're shooting on film, it just... If you want to have something to e just even physically show at the end of it, you just have to know what you're doing and you yeah. have to do a pretty good job or you won't even have a movie. Like if your intention, which I believe was, I believe this was their intention. If your intention is to have a movie at the end of it, to do it with film just requires everyone to be pretty good at their jobs in a way that making a thing on video doesn't. Yeah. Um... All right, let's keep going. We got a lot of questions here. They get easier to answer. Uh, like for example, this one we basically have answered, but I want to cover it because this this question is going to have different answers for different movies. Austin, yeah. how many experiments are there? Because in the comics, Doctor Doom and Fantastic Four are both created by science experiments gone wrong. But in the comic, they are separate, unrelated experiments that happen at least 10 years apart from each other. So in the comics, the experiment that Doctor Doom was doing in college, the one where Reed Richards says, hey, Victor, your equations are off here. And Doctor and Victor's like, Reed, what do you know about equations? Now let me blow my face off with this <laughs> machine. Uh, in the comics, this was just an experiment Victor was doing completely on his own. They weren't really collaborators. They knew each other. They didn't really like each other. And the experiment that Victor is trying to do is he has built a machine to contact his mother's soul in hell. <laughs> and that hell machine explodes in his face. And I only bring that up because I would really like to know what equations Reed noticed were wrong <laughs> in the talk to hell machine. <laughs> yeah, well... I read a very interesting comic where he made a machine to travel to hell called Immortal Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that makes sense because this is technology they all have. But I'm just yeah. saying like, so like Victor knows his mother in the comics. Yeah. Victor knows his mother was a sorceress. He yeah. knows she made a deal with the devil and that her soul is in hell. Yeah. He knows magic. Yeah. Of course, when fucking physics major Reed Richards is like, uh, I think you messed something up on your Hellmouth generator. That Of course, Victor was like, what the fuck do you know about Hellmouth generators, Reed Richards? Yeah. <laughs> it's very reasonable that he dismissed Reed's concerns. <laughs> yeah, maybe he messed up something super basic, though, you know? Maybe yeah. that he was overlooking just like... Because you got to remember, Marley, Reed never misses the small details, okay? He's a big picture guy. He's a little picture guy. He's kind of the smartest guy who's ever lived, and he's always – and the most moral. I, I would love I would love to, like, go back and do a story where you reveal that all Reed did was be like, you can't plug that much wattage into these outlets, Victor. <laughs> yeah, and he was like, yes, I can. Victor's like, Doom can plug whatever he pleases. <laughs> yeah, he missed that, like, whatever the wattage in a wall outlet is different in the U.S. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's using a, a European adapter. That's <laughs> yeah. the only problem. He just burned himself in an electrical fire. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in this movie, there are also two experiments 10 years apart, um, but they are related. They made the, you know, simplified choice. No, actually, to have them be related in some way, the two experiments. Yeah. They're both Colossus, but they're the same amount of years apart. And yeah, but the, I, I mean, but I, I do think it's a smart way to do it because you do want to tie these things in together more. And so what they do is that Reed and Victor are, like, trying to somehow harness the power of Colossus. It blows up. They think it 
they think it kills Victor. And then yeah. 10 years later, Colossus has come back around through the solar system and reads like, we got to do it right this time for Victor, the nice man we love. And then, uh, and then, so our next question is, and we've also kind of already answered this, uh, are there any villains in this movie besides Dr. Doom? Because in the comics, Doom's always teaming up with other villains or jumping in to steal the power of another villain and becoming the real villain halfway through the story. Austin, does anything like that happen in this movie? Yeah, the jeweler who is, you know, <laughs> I before they said his name, I was like, it's Mole Man because he lives underground and he he's clearly Mole Man. Yeah, kind of looks like Mole Man. It is too bad. I they wish- just realized he was already stealing. He wants to steal the diamond because he's in love with Alicia, who is the thing's future girlfriend. Yeah. For no reason. Um, I No, he thinks she's blind, so he thinks she'll love him even though he's a gross monster because yes. she's all- And also, in a, in a bit that I like, because he keeps saying that everyone who lives in the sewer with him is some kind of societal outcast, even yeah. though everybody else is just guys. Yeah, I think they're uh, all meant to be, like, homeless. Yeah, I know, but he's acting like we're all monsters in some way besides our life situations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because his, his idea is that not just because she's blind, she'll love him, even though he's a weird little man. She's also like, oh, she's been rejected by society yeah. like me. She'll understand what it's like yeah. to be shunned like me. And in a scene that I think is great uh, is when he kidnaps her and like puts a bride gown on her and he's got her down in his sewer lair. Her little line where, you know, this was another theater actress. So she's doing a good job where she's like. I'm not an outcast in the world. Like, yeah. I don't fit in here. You're wrong about my deal. I'm a famous, successful sculptor. Being blind is fine. Yeah. I will <laughs> I say... I think it's nice. <laughs> I forgot. It's very funny that the person who is in love with the thing, thing, her deal is, like, sculpting people. She just loves clay men. Like... Yeah. No, I think it tracks very well that what she loves to do is reach out and touch hard clay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like... I like well, yeah, because that's that's one thing this movie does. Uh, well, you know what? We're gonna we'll jump to it because that's in my. I have a whole question about that. So yeah, so there's the jeweler, there's Doom and the jeweler, and they intersect a bit. Like uh, when Doom needs Doom initially lets the jeweler steal the diamond because he thinks it's funny and he thinks that it'll kill the Fantastic Four. Yeah. But then once he learns the Fantastic Four have these cool powers and he wants those powers for himself, he now needs that diamond to power his machine that's going to steal their powers. So then Dr. Doom goes and steals the diamond back from the jeweler. Yeah. And um, with just guns. Well, no, what happens is all of the jeweler's men try and shoot Dr. Doom and the bullets ricochet and kill them. Bounce um, off the armor. And, and Doom does just have a gun, but that's true to the old in the old comics, Doom, there's a part of his design is like a gun belt. He just has a pistol on his side. Yeah. He doesn't have anything else in this movie. We, there's like a force no. field at some point, I think, around that. He create yeah, he's got some technology in his castle, but Doom, he doesn't Doom does have not a robot have a, suit. I think he, in the movie it seems more just like a metal suit. I think in the movie it is just a metal suit. He doesn't really I expect that when they do Doctor Doom in the new movie, in the in the new MCU, that he's going to just be wearing a straight-up Iron Man suit with a cloak over it. Uh, yeah. Because that's really what Doom is supposed to have. And in, I mean, none of these adaptations have really leaned into that. It's always some version of, like, it's just a metal mask that comes with no extra powers. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's meant to be exact. I mean, functionally in the comics, it is an Iron Man suit. He's wearing exactly yes. an Iron Man suit and can do magic. Uh, <laughs> yes, he's, he's an Iron Man. I mean, I, you know... That's going to be the easiest thing to adapt in the movie because it'll just be he's wearing an Iron Man suit and he'll have fantastic uh, he'll have Doctor Strange magic circles on his arm. 
yes, the visual language of Doctor Doom is going to work really well in the MCU. You're going to instantly, you'll see him on a bag of chips and understand what's going on with this guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they'll just make his circles be purple or whatever. I don't know. So or yes, they can make them. No, be- I, I am, I am excited about that because I, I had kind of actually forgotten how big a part of Doctor Doom always was that he also had magic. Mm-hmm. And right from this, because when, like, reading comics as a kid, every now and then they do a story where he's using magic, and I always thought that was kind of a new thing. Like, oh, that's cool, Doctor Doom's doing magic now. And I really, going back and rereading all the 60s comics, which, by the way, Austin, uh, do you think the listeners uh, of this podcast know that I have recently read all 103 issues of Fantastic Four that Stan Lee and Jack Kirby made? <laughs> Um, maybe. I feel like it's come up on the podcast. I would believe it. Uh, but, uh, anyways, just the fact that, yeah, right from the start, Doctor Doom also being a sorcerer has always been part of it. Uh, and I, they've never really done that in the movies, and I'm excited. I think that's something the MCU will be able to do really easily, because those robot suits and magic are two of the things they have already. Yeah, and it, I don't know, it'd be, be neat. Um, but yeah, Marley, I, I'm sorry, I, I had such a lackluster response to how many Fantastic Four comics you've read <laughs> recently, and I just want to acknowledge all the fans cheering right now, and they're like, Marley did it again! I mean, Austin, do you, do you, do you want to tell the listeners at home who might incorrectly think you're a more reasonable man than I? Would you like to tell them how many issues of Fantastic Four slash Avengers Fantastic Four you've read recently? I don't even know because of the numbering, but a lot. I read read a lot of Fantastic Four comics recently. That's partially why we were like, we should just do this. We both just read so many Fantastic Four comics. Um, yeah, we both read or reread like Jonathan Hickman's entire Fantastic Four run from like 2012 to 2015. Yeah, <laughs> which altogether is probably like 60 issues of comics, um, if not if not more. Yeah, and it's good and probably what the new movies are going to be adapting. Definitely. Yeah, um, I will. I will say uh, to add a tiny bit of content back to our uh, original Infinity Saga rewatch. I had not actually read all of Hickman's Avengers comics, and I was not surprised, but I got to learn that a lot of little moments and visuals from the movies that we just watched are actually from these comics in ways I didn't know. Like, uh, the only one I'll say is in the Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, they do this thing where the way they signify that Doctor Strange has been corrupted by the evil book is that the third eye opens up on his forehead. Mm -hmm. And that's like how you know, oh shit, the evil book's getting him. Oh yeah. And I remember thinking that was a little bit weird because in the comics, Doctor Strange's third eye works the way real mysticism third eyes work, which is it's a good thing. It's a sign of knowledge and like semi enlightenment. Mm -hmm. And I was like, kind of funny that they're using that imagery to show corruption when that's not how it works. Uh, It's from a Hickman comic. And there's a Hickman comic where Doctor Strange reads all of the blood Bible and goes kind of crazy. And the way he does it is a big third eye opens. But in the comic, it's a huge third eye that takes up like his whole forehead. And it's like a snake eye. (laughs) Yeah, it looks way better. In the movie, They, I think that's another thing where, like, I don't think they knew what it was going to look like when they filmed it. It's just another, if they, like, tried to just have it be a human eye on his head. Yeah, like, they probably should have done a big crazy snake eye or something I think like the, in the comics. I think they couldn't afford, to, my guess would be, to do the version of it in the comics, they would have to completely CGI replace his head whenever yeah, he has it wouldn't it. fit right it wouldn't fit on his face it wouldn't fit on his face and it would be admitting light like it'd be yeah it would have had to be a big thing and what they did was like in effect i can imagine how to do which is like they yeah, basically yeah just right. put a real... just after effects his real eye on his own forehead yeah yeah and it looks <laughs> uh, not amazing 
Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. So we've read a lot of comics. And uh, <laughs> speaking of comics and having read them all, hey, Austin, in this movie, what are Susan Storm's powers? Because uh, she's always been the invisible girl or the invisible woman. But what she can actually do has changed a lot over the years. So what does she do in this movie? In this movie, she just turns invisible. The main thing, she creates a force field very confusingly once at the end. Um, right at the end. No one acknowledges it. Um, it, it was a kind of common thing, I think, in old superhero movies, not even just this one, even like realer ones, to do that, where like the characters just kind of do something at the end you've never seen them do before and no one really acknowledged. I mean, like fucking Superman turning back time at the end of Superman. We didn't like yeah. Jor-El says you must not interfere in human events. That's set up. No, it does not set up that he can turn back time. Yeah, one thing. Th- so the main way her power is used in this is two people are pointing a gun at her and she turns invisible and then those two people shoot each other, which is a thing I, that turning invisible would make you be worse at doing. Because why I, would they I shoot? <laughs> and then, I love it. And then she st- stands back up after they've shot each other and you go, Oh, that's how she did it. It's like, wouldn't if she turns invisible, wouldn't they not shoot? Wouldn't just ducking normally work better for that? I I love every part of it. I love, I, well, I love also, it would be a bad idea for these goons to stand on opposite sides of her and both shoot into her at each other, whether she's invisible or not. Yeah. (laughs) That's just a terrible plan. Yes. Her being invisible would suggest to them. She's not there anymore. So why do they shoot? And also it means Susan storm is the only one who murders people in this movie. Yeah. (laughs) Everyone else is definitely knocking these goons out. (laughs) Uh, yeah, it's, um, uh really fun they so you know in the comics they give her force fields because it's very hard to write a reason that someone turning invisible would be useful consistently yes like she does earlier in the movie she does basically the one thing you can do with being invisible which is she turns invisible and knocks punches out a guard Oh, yeah. uh, which is the main thing you could do is sneak up on people, right? Yeah, uh, And then also in the comics, so in the comics, she can make force fields. Also, she can make other things and people invisible. So, like, she could make the whole team invisible, which also would be very useful, but she can, like, never do that in the movies, it seems like. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's been a funny power creep of her starting off being pretty much useless to being the most powerful person in Marvel Comics, um, which is where she's at now. <laughs> Pretty much. And the only reason she's not is because her son can create universes with his mind. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Weird stuff they're going to have to deal with with adapting this. I don't think we're ever going to have... I would be surprised if we ever get that version of Franklin where he's all powerful. Um, There's a decent chance we'll never get the version of their son, Franklin Richards, where he's a small child who can create entire universes. <laughs> He can do anything that he wants. Uh, it's funny in the uh, in the Dan just because I'm this is the Fantastic Four comics I'm up to now in the Dan Slot comic. The way he handles Franklin is Franklin knows his powers are finite, and every time he uses them, he's using up a finite amount of power. So Franklin just doesn't want to use his powers because he doesn't want them to go. He's like, I'm saving them. <laughs> So, like, every time they're like, Franklin, destroy that armada of aliens. And Franklin's like, then I won't have my powers anymore. You deal with it, Dad. (laughs) Uh, Marley, I was just thinking something random, okay? I'm just wondering, Uh do Reed and Sue get married in this movie? (laughs) 
Uh, I gotta know. Uh, do they? Because they get married in the comics, but after a while. They get married like two or three years into the comics. Yeah. Are they married? Do they... They're not... We've already said they're not married at the beginning of this movie. Are they married by the end? Yeah, they are, Marley. Oh, thank God. <laughs> um, and they have the best shot of any movie, which is Reed is wearing his suit, even though Sue is wearing her wedding dress. Which is frustrating because earlier in the movie, Sue is the only one wearing her costume and no one else is putting their costumes on. So it's frustrating yeah. that now that he's wearing it for the wedding, he won't put on a suit. Like, come on. Um, <laughs> like, what the Yeah, because they, they do the thing from the comics where Sue makes the suits, which was just a sexist idea Stan Lee had where the woman on every team made their costumes because that's what women do is sew clothing. Uh, and in... In the comics, that was Jean Grey made the X-Men's costumes, Wasp made the Avengers costumes, Sue made the Fantastic Four's costumes. In the comics, they leaned into it with Wasp and decided she's actually a fashion designer, and I think that's cool. Uh, but it sucks when it's all of them. Uh-huh. So, yeah, they get married, though, and Reed waves out of the top of the wedding car as they're leaving. His arm is... <laughs> Um, yeah, they put, like, a hand on a pool noodle yeah. and just wave it out the sunroof of a Luma. And there's an it's am great. amazing <laughs> moment in the documentary where the Doctor Doom actor uh, talks about when he saw that moment happen. And he went, oh, uh, that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like that was the one thing that he made him worry that maybe this wasn't a real movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, especially all the scenes he was in were more like he was only on real like nice sets, really. His yeah, the, the the Doom Castle was good. Well, because that's the whole trick with Corman, right? Is they reuse their sets. So almost every set from this movie came from an earlier movie they'd already made, and they just kind of added to it every time to the point where like the sets are pretty good. Yeah, the I was shocked by how nice the sets are. And then the first moment where I was like, "Oh, this is not a real movie," is when it cut to their spacesuits, and it's just like. A pile mm -hmm. of like uh, reflective um, <laughs> blankets on them. <laughs> yeah, just not at all spacesuits. They look they look a little bit like hazmat suits, but that's not what a spacesuit is. So now uh, now we're getting to the point where um, the last bunch of questions are kind of rapid fire. Just like what are the what best moments from the Fantastic Four do they hit this next? Yeah, batch? yeah. I I do want to say one thing because you know having you know a little bit of a, a production film major background one of the ways i can tell the movie is very low budget and i think it is even if people wouldn't necessarily notice why this makes them feel this way it does make the movie feel small and kind of not like a real movie is that there's two big fight scenes in this movie where they fight doom's henchmen it's in the same room mm. they fight out they fight their way out of doom's castle yeah. then they go back to doom's castle and fight the same guys again in the same room yeah and I actually think both fight scenes are pretty good. Uh, and I, I really think they're basically as good as most of the TV show fights have been. Like, I'll I'll watch. Yeah. Like, I know it doesn't look as good. I know it is lower budget. But I'm just saying from an actual entertainment point of view, I like watching a stupid stretchy arm as much as I like watching CG yeah, force field effects. Yeah, we also haven't talked. Well, we'll have a good moment to talk about it in one one second. The yes. next question will address what I'm about. I'm just saying, I think the two fight scenes are, are perfectly entertaining, but it's very striking that they're in the same exact room. <laughs> Marley, can you quickly ask me the next question? Yes, Austin, I can. Hey, Austin, in this movie, does the thing yell, it's clobbering time? Yes, he does, Marley, in these fight scenes. Hooray! And what he does is he goes, it's clobbering time. 
One time I think he says, it's clobbering time for real. Um, <laughs> and then slowly walks forward and people go flying. <laughs> well, I think that brings me to my second question, Austin. Hey, Austin, is it cool when the thing yells, it's clobbering time? Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> He walks through a wall, he walks into some people, he hits them, he goes down and down. It's so he can barely move. Uh, all right, well, that brings us to our next very similar question. Austin, does Human Torch say flame on in this in this movie? And no follow-up question, because it's never cool when he says it. Marley, can I say one of the most <laughs> transcendent moments I've ever had watching a film is the end of this movie when the Human Torch, for the first time, completely covers himself in flames and turns yeah. into a terrible CGI model and flies <laughs> into outer space and fights a laser in outer space and then yeah. and and gets pushed all the way he pushes it, it you see him in <laughs> outer space flying around the planet earth and it was amazing cuz i didn't even know they could do that that's like the first like CGI character thing in it and it's a whole little sequence it's yeah I love it because when you watch the movie now like obviously at the time it was you know CG existed there had been CG in movies at that point yeah it was a little obvious. movie called Jurassic Park came out a while ago <laughs> a while ago uh so like you know these were bad effects even at the time but when you watch the movie now it's amazing because what happens is Human Torch turns into cool experimental video art <laughs> yeah it's awesome i was shocked that last little bit of the movie is so good because then the next thing that happens like the things that are happening at the same time is that because they're intercutting it even yeah. though the thing human torch is doing has to happen over minutes they keep intercutting <laughs> yeah. it with other stuff that's happening and dr doom is like hanging on to the edge of a thing and mr fantastic is holding on to him with a stretchied arm and it's like <laughs> yeah. just really good and dr doom's like you won't kill me we'll fight forever and then yeah. uh dr doom it's, it's, it is really great because what is dr doom reed richard's stretchy arm punches him off the side of the castle dr doom's clinging to the side and then doc doom will and it's, it's probably the best moment of like cool dr doom reed dynamic stuff that they really do pull off of the movie because doom looks up and he's like reed Save me. We were friends once. And then Reed reaches down to grab his arm and Doom goes, ha ha, you will never strike the killing blow. And that is why you will lose eventually and jumps off the edge. <laughs> and he goes, ha 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 I just love that he's like, save me, save me. Ha sucker, you were going to save me. Anyway, goodbye. <laughs> you have my castle now. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, so the next one, I realized for the next movie, uh, I'm going to move this question up earlier uh, in the questionnaire, but let's just real quick. Hey, Austin, is Alicia Masters in this movie? Because she's the thing's love interest in the comics. They just got married a couple years ago. But is she in the movie? And what's she like? We've sort of covered it. <laughs> I, I think we did already. I think you I think we did cover it already. Right. We did. We, we, we pretty it. much did. Think... The only the only the only thing I'll say, because Alicia Masters is very comics accurate in this movie. She's a blind sculptor. Uh, the one thing they do different is than the comics is that she meets Ben Grimm right before he becomes the thing. Mm -hmm. And they bump into each other and they have a little meet cute and she touches his face in a way that I maybe blind people do, but I bet they don't because no. it's rude. Yeah. <laughs> she just puts her hands all over his face the second they meet. Uh, and then later when she meets him again as the thing, she like touches his face again and like can tell it's him. 
Yeah. And the idea is more that like, oh, because she's blind, she can realize it's the same man. And that's actually a little different than what happens in the comics, because in the comics, she meets him as the thing. Yeah. And the idea is just, oh, because she's blind, she doesn't know he looks like a monster. And actually, the first, because in the comic, in the comics and in this movie, Thing turns back into Ben Grimm a lot. Uh, almost every two issues of Fantastic Four in the 60s, Thing turns back into Ben Grimm for a minute so that then he can be sad when he turns back into the Thing. Yeah. Uh, and that happens a couple times in this movie. It's like when Thing gets too sad, sad yeah. he turns back into Ben, but then when he gets even sadder, he turns back into the Thing. Yeah, it's a bad movie. Uh, <laughs> he, turns, he turns into Ben and then turns back into the Thing within two minutes of each other. Yeah, it's pretty wonky, but I do think they did it because it happens a lot in the comics. Anyways, well, point they, is, no, in they the did it because if he stayed the thing, he would have killed Doctor Doom just then. So he needed to turn <laughs> back into Ben so that he couldn't fight Doctor Doom. So he runs out of the room so that they can steal Alicia and then turns back into the thing because he's meant to be the thing. Yeah, but I'm just saying they came up with that brilliant yeah, no, solution you're... because he's always turning back into Ben kind of for no reason in the old comics. Yeah, okay. Yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> Uh, but you're right about why they did it. Anyway, I'm just saying, in the old, old comics, when Alicia first meets him as Ben Grimm, she, like, doesn't like it. She's like, ooh, who are you? I thought you were that guy I like. Gross. Mm. Like, she, uh, you're right. What she likes is that he's made of clay. Yeah. Yeah, she's attracted <laughs> to statues. <laughs> uh, yeah. I kind of think, I really, I try to wonder if, I can't think if anyone's ever, like, explicitly pointed that out it's thrown off a little bit because in the early 60s comics thing wasn't drawn like he was made of stone he was just drawn like a lumpy dinosaur skin man yeah um and then it just slowly became more and more like he's made of bricks as kirby evolved how he drew him yeah. uh but uh i got another question for you austin this is an important question for any movie that has reed richards in it it's a question that i think is keeping kevin feige up up at night right. i think he can't sleep I think he's tossing and turning in his in his billion, triple billion dollar house, thinking about the answer to this question as he thinks about the new Fantastic Four movie that they are in the process of writing. Austin, at any point in this movie, for even a moment, did you feel like stretching was a good power to have? No. I felt like the whole time it would be a horribly, it'd be a terrifying power to have. Um, it's... Uh, yeah, I, I said this earlier. It It's the first movie to make me feel like if I could do that, I would be disgusted at my own body <laughs> if I could stretch like that. Um, he does do some helpful things with it. And, and his it, he stretches his arm out and then just kind of knocks a bunch of guys over with it somehow, even though, like, it would yeah. just be a light slap. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he shouldn't. I know in the, in the comics, sometimes they say, like, the farther he stretches, the weaker he is at the end of it. Uh. So it's like, he does not get stronger. Like when yeah. he punches at you, like you, you were, you were talking about how like one of the reasons they probably had trouble with the idea of Kamala Khan's powers in the Ms. Marvel show is not just that it's a weird power to do and it's hard to do on a TV budget. And also that they didn't want her, probably didn't want her to have the same powers as Reed Richards. It's also that her powers work differently than Reed Richards in the comics in a way that's confusing mm -hmm. because when she makes her fist really big, those are big, strong fists. And she's super strong when she makes big, strong fists. Reed Richards explicitly does not work that way. His big fists are weaker than his regular fists. He gets weaker the farther he stretches. Yeah, I mean, she's literally just... Her power basically is 
what if Reed Richards' powers worked in a way that was cool instead of not cool? Like, what yeah. if his powers were useful? What if he could? Yeah. What if he could actually well, stretch in a way that would make him help people? Yeah, because well, because what she's really doing is more like she's doing more what Giant Man does, but to its individual body parts. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, so it's, uh, it's, uh, it's tough. I really, I truly believe the biggest problem with a Fantastic Four movie is that the leader of the team, presumably in all the movies that we've had, the POV protagonist of the movie is the guy with the worst power. Yeah. And also is, you know, very unrelatable because he's the world's smartest man. Um, and in this movie, attracted to a young woman he's known for her entire life, who he then marries. Um, yeah, the movie does, and they the movie tries to do the angle where it's like all thousand percent of the attractions coming from her, right? Like she's the one that has a crush on him when she's a kid. She's the one that's like, "I love you." Like he basically, true to Reed Richards' fashion, pretty much ignores her. Yeah, there's this scene <laughs> earlier where she's like. Reed, I, I always wanted to tell you this. It's just, and then Reed's like, you just made me realize something. We all got our powers because it's compensating for something that we, was a, a bad quality of ourselves. Like how you used to be shy, so now you're invisible. I was stretching myself too thin, so now I have stretching powers. Johnny, you were hot-headed. Thing, you had thick skin. But the fun <laughs> thing about this is she was about to say she loved him while her brother and his best friend were in the room with them. <laughs> They're right there. <laughs> and they all saw him shut that down also. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, what? What's going on? Uh, I'm glad you brought that up because I do, I also think that people like to try to find a thematic resonance to the Fantastic Four's powers that do not exist. And I also, I probably sh should maybe even add a question of like, does this movie try to do that? Because yeah, this movie says that the way their powers work is, I think he says like Colossus, like saw into our souls, right? And it's yeah. like, it took our weaknesses and made them strengths. Yeah. Like my strength is now stretching. Your strength is your ability to disappear. Uh, and I think that's interesting. It's just, it always falls. There's always some character it doesn't work for. It never works for all of them. Even stretching yourself thin is tough compared to the other ones. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the weird thing about the movie too, is that the movie isn't about them overcoming any of those things. No, really. Um, yeah. Like if you were going to do, if you're going to do the classic, the wizard of Oz, rules you would have earlier set up also this scene is the one where they tell you they have these flaws yeah. which is from a screenwriting point of view too late in the movie <laughs> yeah. to do that because <laughs> uh, yes if you were if you were gonna if this movie got a fourth a fifth draft because apparently they did four drafts of the movie yeah if this movie had gotten a fifth draft i would have said you would have needed to set up all those flaws before they get their powers i do imagine and, and then in the third act you'd have to see each one of them more explicitly overcome that flaw using their new power. I feel like multiple ones of those drafts were just like, uh, we can't use Mole Man. You're going to have to change that. Uh, I think one whole ma one whole draft was probably just whiting out Mole Man and writing in the jeweler. Yeah, and they were like, uh, I guess he's stealing a diamond. This is all he could do. Yeah, and one, one whole draft was whiting out Galactus and writing in Colossus. Yeah, and being like, too many locations. Cut out five of these. Um... <laughs> The other th is it yeah. the scene after that that there's that sequence of the thing walking around like the streets and just yeah, different people see that, him yeah. and go ah monster yes it's so good and there's a guy who's like hey bum yeah he le he's like I'm so I'm sick of all of you I'm leaving 
and then becomes homeless. He doesn't instantly. Somehow he doesn't, he have, doesn't an apart- have an apartment. Like I know, I don't know why he doesn't just go back to wherever he lived before all this. Yeah, and and so then that's when um one of the mole man's guys, who's way too emotive of a character, I feel like for mm-hmm. what's happening. Just again, it's one of those things where it's like, why is the scene about this weird man now? <laughs> He's trying to get <laughs> yeah. the thing to come. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of weird, like the when Alicia is the jeweler's prisoner. There's like a pretty long sequence where the jeweler's like, ah, someone's coming to talk to me, the jeweler, and it's Doctor Doom, uh, and he's like, watch, watch my bride while I do deal with this, and then the guy comes in and just like grossly smells her hair yeah. for a while, yeah. and then the jeweler comes back in, he's like, I said, watch, not smell. <laughs> yeah. Oh, how much of this movie, Marley, do you think was them trying to? pad to get to a 90 minute time every scene with the jeweler in it i think uh <laughs> that's my basically uh, so when i rewatch this movie i legitimately enjoy it i really do think everyone involved did their best i think in there are elements of this movie that if executed correctly would be my favorite version of the fantastic four i think the jeweler stuff sucks and is boring and i don't like having to watch those scenes okay the other thing I noticed in when watching it is the opening sequence, the opening credits are really long. And that That was, is just how movies were though. But not all movies in the 90s, right? Yeah, but like that the the like Batman Returns has okay. like a really long opening sequence like that Superman has. And I feel like the kinds of movies they'd be looking Honestly, at Honestly, at that point like too, that. I was being way more cynical about the movie cuz I thought the people making it knew it wasn't a real movie. I thought they were oh, yeah, checking yeah. off things to count as a movie. Um, rather than they were like, this is my shot. Um, yeah, no, they were all just, so the, 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 the part of the movie that I feel like is just padding is I think they, they knew they couldn't afford to do very much with Dr. Doom. They knew they couldn't fight everyone in his castle a third time yeah. and something else that was cheaper to make had to happen. And it was this mole man jeweler thing, but you know, I'm going to be perfectly honest. If he was called the mole man and he was dressed like the mole man, maybe I'd love it. Uh, Sure. I believe that maybe you would love it. Uh, he basically, <laughs> I, lo- I mean, he looks, if he didn't have the little jewelers thing, that's, I'm sure what his mole man costume was going to be. You're just saying if he had lo- the little glasses. Well, but that's what I'm saying is if he had, if I don't think he really looks like the mole man though. And I think if he had, like yeah. if he was also wearing a big cape with a huge collar and yeah, the, little yeah, sun, yeah. the little snow blind glasses and if he had his staff, the, I don't know. the jeweler just, is an original character, right? Yes. Yeah. I'm just saying I, I have to admit that probably it's not a coincidence. The only part of this movie I admit is bad is the part that's not from the comics. <laughs> okay. Wait, so Marley, you don't admit any other part of this movie is bad? No, I don't think I do. I think they did their best, and I think it's fun, and it's, I like watching it. Okay. I feel like this is a really important thing to note when people think about what Marley's opinions were on all the MCU films. Uh, <laughs> You're saying, like, hear how I'm talking about this movie, and then go back and re-listen to Ant-Man, and maybe rethink how much to listen to me? <laughs> or, yeah, rethink what it means that you like one of these movies, you know? You're, just in terms of it's like, it's really not... He's not seeing these movies the way that a normal person would see them. <laughs> I mean, my thing is, it's not boring. No, it's the, great. Uh, I, not, I had so the much non, fun watching this one. The, the non-jeweler parts of this movie are fun to watch. I And I, I maintain that is the case for all of it. Like, there's, I don't know. And I really do think some of the stuff is, is correctly uh, funny on purpose. Like, the first fight scene they have with Doctor Doom, they do the very cheesy thing where Doctor Doom is like, 
I will kill you and take your powers. And I think he's like, no, I will not sully myself with the execution. I will come back after you are dead and just leaves the room while his goons attack them. Yeah. And then they defeat all of his goons. They blow up the walls of the castle. They escape. And then Dr. Doom walks back in and goes, so now that we've, ah, well, and then it cuts. <laughs> and it's <Yeah>. really funny. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean. I wish you could hear Doctor Doom better in some of those. Scenes. I know. Um, There's also no, a great right. bit when he when he says they have like he's like you have 12 minutes until New York is destroyed. He like mimes out drawing a big 12 in the air. <laughs> I absolutely did not hear that when he said that. Yeah. I had no idea that New York was going. There's a whole chunk of his talking there at the end that we could not make out at all what he said. That's that's fair. You can't really understand him. For yeah, for, I, he the way he lures them into the trap to steal their powers is he's got a laser pointed at New York and he's like come here. Yeah. To my trap, or it's, else it, I will destroy the, New York. It's the recording of him with a mask over his face, and he's doing an accent. Yes. So it's, there's a lot going on, and everyone he he assumed they would dub it over. He didn't think they'd use this audio. No. Why would they? It's like if they had used uh, the original Darth Vader audio. Without, yeah. It's exactly you like never that. use the audio uh, from someone while they're wearing a mask over their face. Yeah. It really it is funny. It's the like I. I basically can't, because in the documentary, the Doom actor says that he wanted to loop all the lines, and the director told him, no, it's fine, we're just doing these few. I can't believe the director believed it was fine. That had to have been a budget thing. They must not have been able to have the money. Because it takes, it would, it would have been a lot more studio time to re-record all the lines. They had to have just not been able to afford it. I can't believe the director was like, no, it sounds good, I like it. Yeah, I can't think of something that would have been more important to do then re-record Doctor <laughs> Doom's lines. I, I just feel like he must. They must have been like, we don't. We have an hour in the studio. What are the most important lines? Because I, you know, I've, I'm working on low budget cartoons. I have been in situations where you're like, well, we can't fix everything. What's the most important thing to fix? All right, we gotta wrap this up. Here's my idea. Back in the Infinity Saga uh, rewatch, we did this fun thing everyone loved where we watched every Marvel Studios movie and then we rated it how many Iron Mans we give the movie. Yeah. And there were some shenanigans, you know, we meant different things by Iron Mans. You meant the movie Iron Man. Yeah. I meant the man Iron Man. Uh, since there is no Iron Man in any of these movies except potentially counting Doctor Doom as an Iron Man. You would count this as one. This would be I a would one count, Iron yes. Man film for you at least. It would, but it would, all of them would, I would give every one of these movies one Iron Man. What about Dr. the one Doom's... with the Silver Surfer, Marley? See... <laughs> Uh, you know, it's uh, a perfect metric that works for all films. <laughs> anyway, rather than go down that insane rabbit hole, I propose that the, we do a much less confusing system for this. Yeah. So Austin and I propose, I propose, you don't have to go along, that we both use this system the same way. Okay. And Austin, I ask to you, on a scale of one to four fours, how many fours do you give this Fantastic Four movie? Okay. And am I allowed to ask any questions as to what that means? <laughs> you can ask whatever you want. How? What? What is a? What's a four? <laughs> to me, a four is like a star. Okay. But it's a Fantastic Four movie, so I'm rating it one to four fours. So it's like a four can mean to you whatever you'd like it to mean. I suggest 
that all this is is a star system one to four, but that would be boring. So, so instead, a it's a four system. Fours. One to four. Like if we were printing this review, you'd have you know the Fantastic Four have that cool logo of the four inside the yeah. circle, and you'd be like, how many of those fours do you give this Fantastic Four movie? One to four fours. One to four fours. Do you want how to many go fours? first, Marley, with this? Yeah, I would like to go first. I'm going to come out of the gate swinging. I'm going to try to give this movie a chance to be the greatest Fantastic Four movie made to date. And I'm going to give this movie two fours. <laughs> two fours. A rating that I think a rating that I think might make it the best Fantastic Four movie, but we'll have to see. <laughs> two fours. So what would you say is four fours on this scale? I mean, we'll see if anything is. I mean, <laughs> oh, a four. Saying... Okay. To um, me, four fours would be a perfect Fantastic Four movie. You know, my gut... And I give this movie two fours. I, was, I think they half did it. I was going to say <laughs> 2.54s. <laughs> you still can. There's no loss. Yeah. Um, I went a little bit higher. I mean, I think this one's great. I think this one's might be the most fun I have watching any of these. Well, we'll see. I'm just I'm trying to give myself room to breathe because I don't want to be like this is four fours, and then what if I like Rise of the Silver Surfer better? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I hear you. I hear you. Um, wow, pretty interesting stuff. Um, pretty crazy. So that's your final the answer. Two side two, two, of this rating system. I don't know what we're even gonna. Hmm? So two point five fours. Two point. I gotta keep doing the decimals. You know. It's okay. In my <laughs> two point five fours. Great. I, All right. Well. That's uh, that's it for uh, The Fantastic Four. A lot of these movies are just called The Fantastic Four. This is the first one that's called that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Marley, can you do you want to leave us on just saying what the tagline of the movie was? Uh, yeah, I would uh, I would love to. Uh, so, uh, first of all, from the pages of the world's greatest comic book fantasy, right off the bat, that's wrong. The tagline is world's greatest comic magazine. <laughs> Uh-huh. So they got that wrong. The Fantastic Four, part muscle, part elastic, part fire, part invisible. Together, it's clobberin' time. Fantastic Four. All right, we'll see you next time. Two fours. <laughs> Boopity boop boop boop. It's me, the newsman. Our outro music is by Josh Pan. Art is by Will Patrick. And Austin Halpern Grazer edits the podcast. What a lovely fellow. You can follow the podcast at Hero Rewatch. Marley is MarleyHG on Twitter, and I'm AustinHG. For some more Hero Rewatch stuff, go to Austin Halpern Grazer on Instagram and TikTok. And keep your eye out for all things super duper. See you next time. Watch the news. Stay up to date, my friends. <laughs>